Well, dumpling, this is how I want to start this uh, sermon this morning. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I'm just kidding. We are, we're finally getting into Luke where we're talking about Jesus' birth. And so I want you guys to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. But this message shouldn't be just spoken about around Christmas time, right, Ms. Barbara? This, this story about Jesus and his birth is so center of what God has done to save humanity. And it's all centered around Jesus Christ and his birth right here. And, and you guys know what's happening. Mary and Joseph has had a pretty crazy year, right? Mary was approached by an angel and, and was told, you have found favor upon the Lord. And the angel told her, you are going to conceive even though you're a virgin, right? You're going to conceive this baby, and it's going to be the Savior of the Word. You're going to name him Jesus, right? And, and so for nine months, all, all they were expecting was that there was something special about this baby that she was carrying. And, and if you really dig into Jesus' birth and his story and how Luke portrays it, man, you will see the glory of God in the highest. And so as we look through this, I want you to pay attention to some key things, because what we see in, in this next few verses is very centered to what the kingdom of God and its heartbeat beats for. It, it really centers in on God's heart and his heartbeat. And the question you're going to have to ask yourself is, if you are a Christian in here and you've claimed to be a Christian, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you have to check your heartbeats and see if it matches up with the heartbeat of the kingdom of God. And if it doesn't, you need to get back in rhythm. Amen? Amen. So Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Okay? Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this morning, Lord. We feel your presence, God. We just thank you for the fact that you would choose to be um, with us, God, that you would allow us to be in your presence here this morning. But God, I pray as we dig into your word, as we look into the story of your son's birth and what it means to us, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to things that we've never seen before. And God, I pray that you would challenge us, God, challenge our hearts um, in the way that we view you and the way that we view others, God. Um, Lord, we thank you for what you did um, in this story. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So Luke is doing something good. You're all in Luke chapter 2. Luke is doing something good and, and amazing in his writing. And I want you to make sure that you see it. Right? You guys know the story of Jesus, but uh, I don't know if he's thought about how glorious this birth actually was. And, and, and because, not only because he was Jesus and, and the Son of God, but because of who God chose to reveal the gospel and his nature too. Man, it's awesome. You guys excited? I hope so. Let's dig in. Verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, Caesar Augustus, right, and this man, they opposed God's people. And what that means is, is that they wanted to make sure that everybody knew that they had all the glory and all the power and all the honor. Right? That's the Caesar. is the emperor of Rome. And Caesar Augustus, Luke, doesn't just do things for no reason. He has a reason to what he is writing about and who he is writing about. So he mentions Caesar Augustus because historically this was a bad man. He was nephew uh, to, to Julius Caesar. Um, and, and if you go through history books and talking about Augustus, he was born an almost an evil kid. From a young age, he just wanted power and he wanted to be the strength of, of the strongest around him. 
And so Luke mentions him because um, Augustus was the first emperor, the first Caesar to be called Augustus. That wasn't his birth name. Augustus literally means um, holy or revered. Okay? I mean, holy, revered, kind of set apart. And so the Roman Empire would only use this term to refer to their Roman gods. So what do you guys think that means about Augustus Caesar? You guys, that, that might mean that he thinks highly of himself, right? If he wants his name to be changed to the one term that the Romans use to represent their gods, that says a lot about who this man is. Right. And so uh, Augustus, what he was doing at this time was he was trying to get the Roman Empire to see all the emperors, all the Caesars as gods. And it was around this time Luke began to write his gospel. And so some of these Greek cities even adopted his birthday. How many of you ever whose birthday is September 23rd? Anybody? September 23rd. Don't be ashamed. Come on. Nobody. Good, because that's his birthday. (laughs) I was going to have to call you. I was going to have to call you out. But he tried to change his birthday to be the beginning of the new year and that his life would be the center and they would call him savior of the world as he just expanded the Roman Empire. They even put up a monument after him to show everyone he was the highest power and glory and honor. Right. And so although it was true in that time period, he had power. If you study the Roman Empire, he he expanded that thing all over the world. So, yeah, at that time he had power. But we ultimately know who is in control. We ultimately know that God, regardless of government, praise God, he is in control. And we shouldn't have to worry about what government or man does because God is the highest power and honor. And if you don't believe me, I want you to see what God does. Because Luke mentions Augustus in this this time census. They wanted to do a register all around the world. Look how God can do literally anything with any situation. And and on earth. I want you to see. Look at verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her first son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So God was able to take Augustus' power trip and his motives behind getting everyone to be registered so that they're Roman citizens, right? And to get some money. He was able to use that to fulfill a promise that God made way back before this. Michael 5.2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me who is one to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. God is able to take what we do and use it for his glory. This was God's plan all along. That Jesus would come and he would fulfill scripture after scripture after promise after promise so that we would look at God and go, no, you are in control. You run this thing. Not Caesar Augustus, not the president of the United States. 
God runs this world and with his hands and with his voice sets it into motion. God is good. Amen. Amen. And so here's what's going on. Joseph and Mary, they start out in good old Nazareth of Galilee, out in the middle of nowhere. But God uses this emperor's census to move them back into Joseph's town of good old Bethlehem. Fulfilling scripture after scripture after scripture. And here's the awesome thing uh, about God is God's people, those who believe in God and who believe in Jesus and repented from the sins, we don't have to fear the laws of man. I, I, I firmly believe we're getting to a point where we might not be able to meet in these walls anymore. I, I think that time's coming a lot sooner than we than we were expecting. But we don't have to fear because we know who is in control. It's not Caesar Augustus. God is in control. And if you're a believer and you've surrendered your life to him, you don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. God is in control. Amen? Amen. Now look at verse 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now we see God, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who deserves to be getting all the power and all the glory and all the highest praise. Jesus, we see him actually now. He is born nine months later. Here Jesus is. He's here. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus is born where no child should be born. Right? I don't think you guys get that because we set a nativity scene up for Christmas and it looks awesome. It's all clean. There's some straw here. There's a little donkey here. Yeah, that's true. But that stuff was stinky and dirty. And the fact that they had to travel from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem in the middle of winter while she's pregnant. No one should have to go through that. And the fact that they would come into a town and there's no place for them to even rent a room if they had the money to do it. There's no place for them. The only place for them to give birth is in a stable. And stables aren't clean. I want you to think about that for a second. Jesus who deserves all the praise, the God of the universe, the creator of all things was laid up in a manger, literally a feeding trough. Literally where they put slop in for the animals to eat. Jesus was laid in the manger. This is God. None of that says glory, glory to the highest honor. None of that. But there's more to the scene that just meets the eye. There's more to this than, than just the Christmas story. Oh yeah, Jesus is born. Praise God. Hallelujah. There's more to that. Digging deeper, Luke gives us a clear example of how the kingdom of God works. And this is how the kingdom works. It's humility before glory. The kingdom of God works humility before glory. Before there is glory, there first has to be humility. That's the kingdom of God. Mark 10, 31 says the first will be last and the last will be what? First. The competitive nature in my heart wants to say the last are last because they're not good enough to be in first. (laughs) But the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God, God's heart, the center of the kingdom is humility before glory. James 4, you guys, James talks a lot about this. James is Jesus' brother. He should know what it means to be humble. Can you imagine being a sibling of Jesus Christ? 
He says this in James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James 4, 10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. The kingdom of God is all about humility first, then comes glory. And we see that model being played out in the birth of Jesus. God himself, the creator in the universe, he left his kingdom. Left perfection. You guys know about heaven, right? It's paradise. He left his perfect kingdom to come into this imperfect, broken world filled with sin. And not just came in here and say, oh, boom, here I am. He chose to come in the most humbling way possible through a baby. Nothing says, I need somebody. I need to be dependent on somebody else than a baby does. You have to feed a baby, clothe the baby, clean the baby, protect the baby. And the Son of God humbles himself and was born a baby, born in the flesh. And not just flesh, I want you to think about that. God, who's never had to feel pain, none of this stuff, he put on flesh and now all of a sudden he feels hunger. All of a sudden he feels tired. All of a sudden he needs something to drink. All of a sudden he needs rest. This is God humbling himself to become one of us. This is good. And Jesus humbles himself, lives a perfect life where we can't be perfect for an hour. He does it. He goes through temptation. He gets tired. He wants to, I'm sure he had some crazy thoughts, but he never sinned one time. And then humbly, he died on the cross in the most gruesome death possible. It wasn't an honorable death. This death that Jesus died for us was a death meant for the most worst, evil, crooked people in the world. And Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross. That's humble. That's humility. We don't deserve that. We don't deserve that whatsoever. There's not one thing in your life that shows you deserve Jesus doing that. But God's love did it for you anyways. The kingdom of God in the center of Jesus is humility before glory. And they laid Jesus in the grave and he rose three days later. And now he's in the highest of highs in the kingdom with his father. Humility before glory. I want you guys to see this. Let me ask you. If the kingdom of God's heartbeat is surrounded in humility, does your heart mirror that? Does your heart and your life mirror the kingdom of God where it comes humility before glory? Do you see yourself greater than others or smarter than others or more talented than others? Are you better than others? Because if so, that's not the kingdom of God. That's not the kingdom of God. And you as a citizen of the kingdom of God, if you're a Christian, you are a citizen. You're not there yet, but you are an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Does your life and heart mirror your kingdom? That you're a citizen of. I want to read to you Matthew Henry. You guys know Matthew Henry has a great commentary. If you don't have one, you should get one. I want to read to you what he says about this right here. He says... He, will, he well knew how unwilling we are to be meaningly lodged, clothed, or fed. How we desire to have our children to be decorated and indulged in anything they want. How apt the poor are to envy the rich, and how prone the rich are to disdain the poor. 
But when we by faith view the Son of God being made by made in the man and lying in a manger, our vanity, ambition, and envy should be checked. We cannot, with this rightly before us, seek great things for ourselves or for our children when the Savior was born into nothing. Does your life mirror? Does your heart mirror the center and the heartbeat of the kingdom of God? You need to wrestle with that. I'm going to get fired up here in a second. Now, we really don't see the glory of this text until we see um, these next characters in the story, the shepherds. I want you guys to see, look at verse 8. So literally, this is happening at the same time, okay? And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Okay, I want to read verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, I want you to understand why Luke chose to write about these shepherds. This is a big deal, and I don't want you to miss this. These shepherds, they had a bad reputation. In that culture, shepherds weren't looked at like, oh man, you're awesome, come on in to dinner with me. Shepherds, literally, they couldn't even give a testimony in the court of law because of their reputation. Right? They're, they're the low, despised people who, you know, I just want you to think the lowest of lows in society. These were the shepherds. And the fact that, that Luke had to point out in verse 8 that they were working the night shift means that they couldn't even get the good jobs. That nice, nobody works the night shift. That's not, that's not like a, a modern thing. That's forever. Nobody wants to work the night shift. But these shepherds, the, lower, there's no, the lowest people below them are lepers, people who have skin disease. Okay? They're not good people. But here's what's going on here. An angel of the Lord appeared to them in darkness, and all of a sudden that darkness was gone because of the glory of God shining around that angel. In the darkness, here comes the light of God. That's the glory of God. They didn't see God. They didn't see His face. They saw just the glory of God. And it shone so bright that the darkness of midnight was not around them. That's who God is. That's how good and glorified God is. He, darkness can't be around them. And here comes the glory of God. Come into some dirty, unworthy to trust shepherds. Man, I want you guys to see, this is what God does. Look at this. When we see this angel, because he's about to go off. This angel's about to share something that's going to change the world forever. And they're about to give him some good theology. Y'all know theology, right? Study of God. I want you to look at this. Look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is a a city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. These despised men were the first ones to receive the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. The gospel literally just translated the good news of Jesus Christ. 
These low, despised, can't trust them. They're dirty, can't come inside a courtroom because you can't trust them anyways. God chose to speak the gospel to them. They hear for the first time and understand that this great joy of Jesus' birth, this is for all people, not just the Jews, not just for Israel, but this is literally for all people. It doesn't matter if you're in a mansion or in a trailer park. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. The gospel is for everyone. Don't care if you're white, black, Mexican, Asian. I don't care what you are. The gospel is for everyone. I don't care if you have murdered someone or never told a lie in your life. The gospel is for everyone and you need the gospel. You need the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm focusing on what God's doing here. This is God. Look at what God does. God comes only to those who sense their need for a Savior. That's what God does. He doesn't come to the people who are self-sufficient and independent. I got this. God doesn't come for that. God comes and the gospel is for those who know they need Jesus. They need Jesus. These men were the outcasts, the people that everyone else around them goes, oh, look at him. That's who these men were. And the gospel came and smacked them right in the face. And they knew they needed this great joy that was for all people. That's what God does. I want you to go ahead and turn. You can keep your finger out, Luke, but turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see what God does. Hold your finger in Luke. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or you can just listen to me. I'd rather you look for yourself. I'm glad that you trust me, though. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. I love hearing the pages turn. Come on. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26 says this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's Jesus Christ. God chose the the lowest of births, a baby, no power, needing someone to feed him. Born in a dirty manger to be the savior of the world. He chose some dirty shepherds to share the gospel with so that they, we're going to see here in a second, their response to go and spread the gospel. So what that means, if that's the model we get from God, what that means is God wants to use you. That God has a plan for you. But what you have to wrestle with is, do you think you're up here and you got it? You got all that you need. You have all the power and all and you're sufficient. You, you and God are good. Me and God have this deal. I'm good. I don't need God, really. If that's your mindset, man, I don't think you know what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. God uses the lowly to despise the high. Whew. God must not like good news, huh? Look at going back to 
Luke chapter 2, verse 11. I want you to literally see this message, this gospel. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. This is the message. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Christ the Lord. They hear about this joy that comes through a Savior who is Christ, Messiah, the Lord. And what's unique about this, we rarely see the titles of Jesus all put together at one time. It's very rare that we see the Savior, Christ, Messiah, Lord. But these, this angel, what he's doing is he is presenting who Jesus is right after his birth. It's like his resume the day he was born. Here's Jesus' resume. <laughs> I want you to see when they says Savior, this baby, what he's saying, this baby is going to come and he is going to bring salvation to the world. And what that means is that we all have a problem. If we all need salvation, this is a real Christian term. You don't really hear salvation outside of church unless it's salvation army, right? But when you hear salvation of Jesus, this is what that means. You need to be saved from something. You need to be saved from something. And that something is sin. And why you need to be saved from that is not because just sin equals death, but because God hates sin. God whose glory shines and literally brightens up midnight. That God, all the power, all the glory, all the strength forever and ever, who created the world and the universe with his voice, he hates sin. Sin. And your problem is that the creator of the universe hates not just sin, but hates your sin. And he has some wrath built up in him because sin has destroyed his beautiful creation. So the problem is, I want you to see this. Your problem is God and his wrath is coming for you. But Jesus and what he does and how he brings salvation goes, instead of you taking that wrath from God... I'm going to do it for you. And all you have to do is repent and believe in me. And Jesus, his death wasn't just dying on a cross. That's a good little story. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus took the wrath that God has for your sin and for my sin and took it on himself. And he is the savior of the world. Amen. So the angel's telling him, he's the Savior. Then he goes on to Christ, the Messiah. He is the promised Messiah that was promised to come in from generations after generations. This is the Messiah. This is Christ. The baby's shouting because he knows. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah that has been promised. That means that we can trust God's word. And then I want you to focus in. Then he says, the Lord. He is the Lord. The Lord, the King of kings, He is the ruler of all nations. Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord of lords. This is the good news. They didn't just, the angel didn't come in and just share the gospel. They didn't just say, hey, here's this new baby. And if you believe in Him, you're going to be saved. He gave them the true identity of who Jesus Christ really is. And if Jesus isn't your Savior, isn't the, your Christ, Messiah, isn't your Lord, you're in trouble. If you look to Jesus just to be your Savior, man, I don't think you understand what Jesus says when he says repent. Because what that means is he has to be your Savior, your Christ, and your Lord, the ruler over your life. I'm going to start preaching a whole different sermon here. 
But I want you to remember how the kingdom of God works. It almost works backwards. This angel tells him that the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has been born in a manger all wrapped up in cloths. That sounds backwards to me. Right? That, that literally doesn't make sense because if, it's the, if he's the Savior, if he's the Messiah, if he's the Lord, why is he born in this manger? And, and so what that shows is that no, it's not backwards. It just sounds like the humble being lifted up in, high, in the highest glory and honor there is. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve. It sounds a lot like the kingdom. So y'all got to see this. Now look at verse 13. I want you to see the response. I want you to see what happens next. Verse 13. And suddenly there were with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. And this is where we see the highest glory in this story. Glory to God. They're singing this. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom with he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. We finally get to see the glory of God. The angels finish up singing and I want you to see that this is more than just the Christmas story. If you don't see this, if you don't see what God did and how his love and mercy was so strong towards you that he set this entire plan into motion, you're missing all of it. If you don't see the fact that God loves you so much that he was willing to allow his son to go through the birth that no baby should go through, the life of persecution that Jesus felt, and dying on the cross for our sins. If you don't understand that that's God's love towards you, and God's mercy towards you, and, towards, and God's grace towards you, you have missed it all. You have missed it all. This is the center of God's heart. He loves you so much that he made this plan and set it into motion. Man, don't miss this. Look at the response from the shepherds. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And when they went, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they have heard and seen as it has been told. It's almost like Luke uh, 1, 65 and verse 66 when Zechariah wrote the son's name. His name shall be John. You guys remember that, right? His name shall be John. And all of a sudden, all the people around him started wondering, what is God up to? And it kind of spread throughout the hill country. Here comes these dirty, low, despised shepherds. And they are proclaiming what Jesus and the angel have told them who Jesus is. And the outcome, people were amazed. It's very simple. People were amazed that this was going on. They immediately began to announce the good news and telling people, anyone who would listen, about what the angel has said about this wonderful birth. And when they left, their hearts continued to glorify and praise God for what they experienced. Now, this is a great pattern that we should be repeating today. Y'all wake up with me. Because I, I, I'm not playing around this morning. If you miss this, you have missed the gospel. 
This is the pattern that we need to be following. These shepherds heard the gospel, accepted this gospel, and began to share it with other people. Is there any other response that you can imagine from seeing the glory of God? Is there any other response that makes sense in your mind? When you see the glory of God, your heart should turn and be excited and be praying. God, you're the highest God. You belong with all the glory and all the power. My life belongs to you, God, because I need you. If that's not your response, you haven't experienced the glory of God. Because when you experience the glory of God, everyone who's in the Bible who's ever seen God fell in fear. And their lives were changed forever. And so what tells me if you're not experiencing that right now, your heartbeat is off rhythm. What's that called? Palpations? Something like that? Something like that, right? Your heartbeat is probably off beat and you need to get refocused on what God is trying to do in your life. It's not enough. What if, the, what if it looked like this? Here comes the, the shepherds and they're excited. Here the angel told us the baby is going to be in a manger. Here comes the shepherds and they peek in and they go, oh look, the baby's here. That's a cute baby. That's a really cute baby. I, I feel really good when I'm in this baby's presence. Man, that baby's awesome. Okay, I'm going to go now. I'll come back next week and visit that baby. And I feel really good just because that baby right there. That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? So why do we come into the church? Man, I feel good this morning. Man, it was good worship this morning. Preacher, you were fired up this morning. I feel better now. I'll I'll be back next week. And we will walk out of these doors. Where's our heartbeat? It doesn't make sense. You cannot experience Jesus and His goodness and not want to live a life that brings Him glory and honor every single day. It doesn't work That is making the gospel and what God did and what Jesus did, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, all the prophecies, that makes it all look like cheap nothing. If our lives don't prove that God is good. I'm afraid some of y'all are missing that. The truth is, if Christ were born in Bethlehem a thousand times, but never born inside of your heart, you are eternally lost. If Jesus, the Christ, was born into the world, He has to be born inside your heart. What that means is, if you've never made a choice to follow Jesus and ask Him for forgiveness of your sins, you are on your own when it comes to paying for your sins. You're on your own. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners and that we have a penalty for being a sinner and that penalty is death. But the free gift of God is salvation, being saved from that sin through Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. That's the, that's the entire story centered right there on Jesus Christ. That's why we sang about it this morning. Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center. Why wouldn't you accept this free gift and mercy from God? I don't understand. Why wouldn't you want that joy and that peace that comes from knowing Jesus personally? Accept Him. 
And if you're a Christian in today, you need to listen to me. If you're not trying to share the gospel with others, if you're not trying to take time to build your relationship with God through prayer, through worshiping, through reading your scriptures, if you're not trying to pursue Jesus in every single aspect of your life, you've missed something. Something is missing. You read the story and you missed something. Because the glory of Jesus, if you've experienced, should transform your life. Not for a month, not for a year, but it should change you for the rest of your life. So if you're a Christian in here and you're not actively pursuing, trying to share the gospel, what are you doing? You're wasting your life. This is a challenge for me. I'm not just yelling. This is me, your pastor. This is a challenge. I get caught up in things that don't matter constantly because I'm ADHD and I can't sit still. And I love Red Bull. I constantly get sidetracked. But Jesus is the center of everything. And your life and your heart should match that. Is Jesus, let me ask you guys, I just want to ask a few, is Jesus the center of your life? Is Jesus the center of your marriage? Men, I need to talk to you. If your marriage is falling apart, step up. It's because you're not loving your bride like Jesus tells us to. Jesus said, love your bride like he loves the church. That's scary. That's scary love. So if your marriage is falling apart, men, you need to make Jesus the center of your heart again and the center of your marriage again. There's no excuse for that. Is Jesus the center of your finances? If he was, what does it look like and what does your giving look like? Is Jesus the center of your success, of your children? Is Jesus the center? Does your life match up with the kingdom of God where it's humility first, then glory? Or do you do everything so that you can build your own kingdom? I had to ask because we sang about it. This is for the members of Dumpin' Baptist Church. Is Jesus the center of Dumpin' Baptist? I don't know if I can say it with 100% certainty that he is. That, that's, that's part of my French. That's crappy. I'm proud of this church. I love this church. This church has done many great things. 221 years, Kim Kate. But I think somewhere along the road, we had got off beat with the kingdom of God. But if we don't, as members of this church, start realizing that your heartbeat has everything to do with the church's heartbeat, we're in trouble. Because as a member, if your heartbeat is away from the kingdom of God's heartbeat, you're going to mess it all up in you. And no, we will talk about, we're going to be preaching on membership the membership is a lot more than just coming in, sitting down, voting for what you want, and then walking out the door. That's not church membership. That's a club membership. This is not a club. And I'm proud of the church. We've come a long way. I, I'm telling you, we're here. We're here. We're not, we're not, until God tells us to go, we're not going anywhere. One, we hate to move. And y'all cook really good. We're not going anywhere. We love you guys. But... The road to revitalizing this church starts with your heartbeat getting back in the rhythm with Jesus. 
And this church, and Jesus, is, he's, the, he's not at the center like he should be yet, but we've come a long way. We've got a long way to go. Check your heart if you're a member of this church. How are you serving? How are you volunteering? How are you giving? All of that should determine your heartbeat matching Jesus's. I love you guys. I really do. I don't care if, I, if people leave. I, go ahead. We have to get back in rhythm with Jesus Christ or this is worthless. So I'm going to have the worship team come up. And here's the time of response. I'll make it real simple. Caesar Augustus is not the real savior of the world. Amen? It's not, the savior of the world is not going to be a great world leader. The savior of the world is Jesus, the son of God who came to earth through Mary and who took on flesh, lived a perfect life so that you could have a perfect sacrifice for your sins. And that sacrifice was his life. So the time of response, real simple. If you've never accepted Jesus, you have a problem and that problem is sin and you can't solve that problem, but Jesus did. And you can have that solution. It's a free gift from God. So if you need to accept Jesus, make it happen today. And the second response, the second person I'm talking to, if you're a Christian in here and your life isn't matching up with the heart of the kingdom of God and the heart of Jesus, if your life isn't summed up with humility first, then glory, you need to, we need a little heart check here. And believe me, this was a hard sermon this week to prepare for. This sermon rocked me several times this week and dropped me to my knees. This is hard. And pride almost got in my way. Don't let pride get in your way from rededicating your life and getting back in rhythm with Jesus. Y'all stand up with me. I'm going to pray.